podcast for module three. So module three is focused on fluid, fluid balance, um, understanding I's and O's, how to calculate them, understanding what you will see in a patient who has a fluid deficit opposed to a patient who has a fluid excess. And then also the different kinds of IV fluids, okay? So we're starting in our book in chapter 16, which starts on 268. So the heading is homeostasis. So as we go through these first couple pages, um, actually all of it up until um, 274, so stopping at the fluid volume imbalances. So the whole couple pages before that is really a good review of fluid. So you would have learned about fluid in probably one of your classes. I'm trying to think probably anatomy. You talked about fluid balance, talked about what the body is made up of water content, um, in bio some of these terms you would have learned in biology. So what I'm telling you is that we're going to, it's good to look at it for a review. You have to have a basic understanding of it, have to be able to practice with the knowledge, but we're, we're not going to, on this nursing exam, get questions that are really deeply scienced. So the questions you're going to get is if you can apply the information to a patient scenario. So I'm just going to go through and pick out some important things, kind of talk about some other, kind of trying to simplify some of this reading. Some of this reading can be a little bit um, complicated, so hopefully helping fill in some gaps. So one of the big things to understand is the body fluid compartments, you know, that there are two fluid compartments. You have your intracellular space, which is inside the cells, and those extracellular space. Um, you know, your ICF is the fluid inside, and it needs to be balanced with your ECF. And your ECF is your fluid outside the cell, which must be balanced with the ICF. It's made up of 75% of interstitial fluid, and interstitial fluid means fluid surrounding the cell, and 25% is plasma, or liquid protein of the blood. Transcellular fluid is in the cerebral spinal column, the pleural cavity, the lymph system, your joints, your eyes, and this remains relatively constant. Some other basics about fluid balance, you know, fluid movement goes throughout the body and helps maintain our body temperature and cell shape. Fluid will transport nutrients, gases, and waste. Most of our body, major organs work together to maintain our fluid balance and the amount of fluids gained through intake must be equal to the loss. So talking about the calculation of fluid gain or loss on page 269, one liter of water weighs 2.2 pounds. This is a really important, 2.2 pounds or one kilo. This is a really important point you need to know. 
So this is why when we talk about the interventions, when we're worried about fluid balance, about how weight is such a great indicator of how we're doing. The more weight a patient will gain, the more a fluid balance problem there is, right? So there's a fluid volume excess possibly. The weight they lose, they could have a deficit. So it's really important to think that, you know, one way to measure how my patient's fluid balance is, is looking at their weight. Um, as we move on to the next couple pages, it goes through the different ways fluids move. So again, this is just getting you back to remembering this. You would have had this in a biology class. So diffusion uh, is a passive form of transport. No energy is required. And so it moves solutes from an area of higher concentration to an area of lower concentration. This results in an equal distribution of solutes between the two areas. You have active transport, which uses ATP to move solutes from an area of low concentration to an area of high concentration. The sodium-potassium pump, remember that? We have osmosis. Osmosis is passive movement of fluid across a membrane from an area of a lower solute concentration to an area of a higher solute concentration. And it stops when both sides are equal. We also have capillary filtration, the movement of fluid through capillary walls through hydrostatic pressure. And so it's balanced by your plasma colloid osmotic pressure from albumin that causes the reabsorption of fluid and solutes. Then we talk about fluid shifts. So when we talk about fluid shifts, um, and that is on the bottom of 271, it's really important to think about what we just talked about. Fluids are going to move. So there's, you know, edema is going to be an accumulation of the inner of fluid in that interstitial space. So it's really not supposed to be there. Uh, fluid spacing, a term called third spacing, uh, talks about fluid that, you know, this is, occurs with ascites, fluids leaking in a place where it can't be used effectively. So if we talk about the different kinds of spacing, we have first spacing, which is normal distribution of fluid in the ICF and the ECF compartments. Second spacing refers to an abnormal accumulation of interstitial fluid, which is edema. And third spacing is this excess fluid collects in the non-functional area between cells. So fluid is trapped. The body cannot use it. So when we'll talk in class about some examples of when this happens, I saw this a lot um, with my burn patients I took care of. So if you look at table 16.2, really good to look at normal fluid balance in an adult to have an idea of what's normal. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, fluid losses. So remembering what's the difference between my insensible loss versus my sensible loss. So my insensible losses, we can't measure. Remember, that could be, we can lose it through the skin, um, the lungs. Insensible losses are measurable. So, patient, so we can measure it. So we can measure how much a patient urinates. We can measure how much 
fluids coming out of a wound. We can measure how much a person has vomited. So that's the difference between sensible and insensible losses. When we talk about how our body maintains fluid balance, there's really three main ways. So our kidneys help, our hormones help, and then we have thirst. So kidneys are, nef the nephrons form urine by filtering blood. If the body needs more fluid, the nephron tubules retain or reabsorb water and electrolytes. The body needs less fluid, the tubules absorb less, causing more fluid and electrolytes to be excreted. Kidneys also secrete renin, which is the enzyme that activates the renin-aldosterone, uh, the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone um, system, sorry, sorry, the RAS system. Aldosterone is secreted by the adrenal cortex, regulates the sodium and water and reabsorption by the kidneys. Then our hormones is the main one we're going to talk about is ADH. So that's vasopressin. So ADH is produced by the hypothalamus to reduce diuresis and increase water retention. If, the, if it senses that the serum osmolarity increases or blood volume decreases, we also have the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. If blood flow decreases, um, the cells in the kidneys secrete renin, which leads to the production of angiotensin II, which is a potent vasoconstrictor. Angiotensin II stimulates the production of aldosterone. Aldosterone regulates the reabsorption of sodium and water in the nephron. And then another one is ANP, which is a hormone that's stored in the um, atria of the heart that stops the action of the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. Um, ANP decreases the blood pressure by causing vasodilation and reduces fluid volume by increasing the excretion of sodium and water. So that should be a little bit of just getting you back in touch with some of those terms. It may have been a little bit of a wow since you've heard those. So now we really wanna take that, that, that information and then talk about how we're gonna apply it. So it's a, this is a nursing class. So our focus is on um, what do, how do I care for patients, okay? So I don't want you to spend a lot of times like really panicking about a lot of the things I told you just now and in the book, have a general sense, a real general sense. This isn't a science test. I'm not gonna ask you about the, directly about the, the renin angiotensin aldosterone um, system. I'm gonna ask you about how are we gonna take care of patients. And so that main information is a fluid volume imbalances on page 274. So understanding deeply about fluid volume deficit and fluid volume excess, and then how do we manage it? So how do I identify there's a problem? So what are my cues? What are my assessment findings? And then how, what do I do? What are the actions I do as a nurse to implement care to, to take care of a patient with one of these fluid balances? So you wanna make sure that you're um, looking at the signs and symptoms of deficit versus excess. 
Then also on page 275, it says nursing implementation. It's going to talk about specific things that you will need to do for the patient, um, depending on if they have an excess or a deficit. There is a table that says nursing management fluid changes. So you want to make sure that you're looking at that. So when we talk about the basics of fluid volume, you know, don't forget, you know, your blood pressure. So under the cardiovascular care is going to talk about blood pressure because blood pressure is related to the amount of blood the heart pumps. So fluid volume affects the amount of blood to the heart. Therefore, assessing a blood pressure also assesses a patient's fluid status. Um, Dehydration. So we talk when we talk about a fluid deficit, maybe cause it's by a lack of water in the extracellular space that causes the fluid to shift out of the cells and then they shrink. Maybe caused by a situation that accelerates fluid loss, including you know, there's certain conditions that you won't learn about in this class, but diabetes insipidus, prolonged fever, someone who has lots of watery diarrhea, they're in renal failure or hyper glycemia. So patients who are more prone to dehydration are very young, are very old. Um, people who maybe have tube feeds that aren't getting enough water. And the assessment findings are going to be the patient can be irritable. There could be confusion, dizziness, weakness, extreme thirst, fever, dry skin, dry mucous membranes, sunken eyeballs, poor skin turgor, decreased urine output, um, and then increased heart rate with a falling blood pressure. Hypovolemia is a fluid loss from the extracellular space that can go into hypovolemic shock. So if it's not um, caught early enough. So and the people who have hypovolemia are going to have a lot of the same symptoms I just talked about for dehydration because they have fluid volume deficits. So signs and symptoms of the fluid loss that we talk about. Um, also, you know, don't forget about your orthostatic hypotension. The patient could be restless and they could have anxiety because remember, they have a decreased amount of fluid, that means that they're not getting enough perfusion to their brain. So if they're not getting enough perfusion to their brain, there could be some confusion, they could be restless. They have weight loss and they can have an increased heart rate. Um, and then we talked all about thirst and confusion and dizziness and irritability. And, you know, as the patient gets sicker and sicker and sicker and goes into hypovolemic shock, you know, they will have a decreased cardiac output. They come unconscious. They have marked tachycardia. Um, they could, they're going to start to shut down their peripheral, so they'll not have peripheral pulses anymore, decreased urine output. So those are like when the patient gets into shock. For 353, we're going to talk about when we know we're in trouble, so really watching the fact that they have that high heart rate and that low blood pressure. We need help, and then we don't talk about shock. Shock you get in med surge two or three. 
So then we talk about fluid volume excess. So, you know, this is um, an excess of isotonic fluid in the extracellular spaces. It could be lead to heart failure, pulmonary edema. Um, they're going to have a fluid. They're going to have gaining fluid. Um, so they're going to have weight gain. So these patients are going to have an increased respiratory rate. They're going to be short of breath. They'll have crackles. They may have, they're going to have a rapid bounding pulse. They'll usually have hypertension. Most of the time they're going to have hypertension. They'll have all kinds of increased pressures that you'll hear things like, um, central venous pressure, um, and peripheral artery pressure, and that comes again later when you get into MedSurge 3. Distended neck veins and JVD, jugular vein distension, uh, weight gain, edema, and they actually can have an S3 gallop. So those are going to be the signs and symptoms of someone who is in fluid overload. So then we're going to, you see on page, 276 it talks about fluid therapy we kind of skip to the end of the chapter um, and and goes to 290 and it starts with oral fluid and electrolyte replacement so the important thing to know here is that you have to understand the different kinds of fluid so you have to know what is a hypotonic fluid, what's an isotonic fluid, and what's a hypertonic fluid. There's a, a table here that um, has information. I don't want you to go as deep as that. Um, I really just need you. We're going to talk about certain fluids and we'll learn about what their tenacity is. So are they isotonic, hypertonic, or hypotonic? And then that's really where we're kind of kind of stop. Then we'll talk about, we talk, that means those are crystalloid fluids, and then we'll talk a little bit about colloids. So as you're reading through that, um, it's important to know that for hyperton, you know, that crystalloid fluids are um, solutions that are clear. These fluids can be isotonic, hypotonic, or hypertonic. Isotonic fluids are going to contain about the same concentration um, as the extracellular fluid. So when you give someone isotonic fluid, there's no shift between the extracellular and intracellular spaces. An example of some isotonic fluids are going to be our D5W, normal saline, so 0.9%. And then dextrose 5%. So those are examples of your isotonic. And you can see that those were in our chart. Okay. Then we move on to hypotonic. And so these hypotonic solutions, the big thing to understand about them is they are less concentrated than the extracellular fluid, which allows the movement from the bloodstream into the cells. So it causes those cells to expand. So examples of iso or uh, examples of hypotonic is half normal saline. So 
5% saline, that's half normal saline, that's your example of hypotonic. So this causes a shift. So um, it can cause cardiovascular collapse because there can be from vascular fluid depletion or increased intracranial pressure from the fluid shifting into brain cells. So that's something we have to monitor for. We have to use our hypotonic fluids very carefully. Then we're going to talk about hypertonic. So hypertonic are those solutions are more concentrated than extracellular fluid, which allows movement of the fluid from cells into the bloodstream, causing the cells to shrink. Examples of hypertonic fluids are dextrose 5% and half normal saline. So meaning that it's a combination fluid that, so think of an IV bag, in that IV bag, both have um, D5 half normal saline. Another example of hypertonic is 3% sodium chloride. Another example is dextrose 10% in normal saline. And then dextrose is 10% in water. Um, we gotta be careful with any hypertonic fluid that it can cause fluid overload and pulmonary edema. So we're very gonna think very carefully about using those fluids with anyone with a history of um, cardiac or renal disease because they very likely aren't gonna be able to tolerate them. Um, and then we're gonna talk about colloids. So those are all crystalloids I just talked to you about. So if you turn the page, it's 292 and you'll see uh, the heading colloids. So colloids are going to be, they're not clear. They're kind of, they're kind of yellow. <laughs> so you think of what colloids are is they expand plasma, plasma expanders. Every colloid is a hypertonic fluid, a hypertonic solution, because what it does is it pulls fluid from the cells back into the bloodstream. Some examples are albumin, um, dextran, head of starch. You really have to monitor these patients very closely because um, they could have, you know, all those have signs of hypervolemia, so increased blood pressure, shortness of breath, and bounding pulse. So that's the end. I know that was a lot. And then if you look at the top of page 292, there's a chart called Nursing Management IV Therapy, talking about those basics there. So that we have someone with an IV, there can be complications. You're going to go more in depth with IVs and med surge too. But knowing this semester, you may be very likely doing assessments of IV sites and so you're making sure that there aren't infiltrations, that there's not plebitis, um, and you're making sure that it's, um, you know, patent. You, may, you very likely might be flushing those IV sites to make sure that they work okay. So I know that was a lot, but I hope that it kind of, with the additional information, kind of will help you to... Uh, 
um, as you do your preparation assignment, pointing out the really important parts. In class, we're going to work on an activity that I'll have you really think about what are all my signs and symptoms of fluid deficit, what are all my signs and fluid, symptoms of fluid excess, and what do I do about it? So what are the nursing interventions? And then we will talk again about those fluids just so you understand which one is isotonic, which one's hypotonic, which one's hypertonic, and then what's a colloid. All right, thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.